0: Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 19 of Jeremiah chapter 50. We're going to be reading verses 34 through 38. Jeremiah 50, beginning in verse 34. The Redeemer is strong. Jehovah of hosts is his name. He shall throughly plead their cause, that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword is upon the Chaldeans, saith Jehovah, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes, and upon her wise men, a sword is upon the liars, and they shall dote. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. A sword is upon their horses, and upon their chariots, and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. A drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up. For it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. And I'll stop reading there. Now we're continuing to go um, through Jeremiah 50 carefully. And uh, we've seen that uh, God is describing Judgment Day. It's uh, amazing how God uses Babylon in the Bible. When we read, um, the earlier chapters of the book of Jeremiah, in chapter after chapter after chapter, God is speaking uh, to to the Jews, to the people of Judah, and He's telling them that the time of judgment has come. It's time for them to go into captivity, and He warns them not to fight against. The Babylonians or the king of Babylon do, do not fight, do not, uh, attempt to stay in the land. And the child of God, the true believer, in order to be obedient, would do no warfare. He would not engage the Babylonians, but he would go into captivity. This is why it was said of Jeremiah as he was accused that he had fallen over to the Babylonians because they thought he was teaching treason. Certainly, they must put up resistance. They had to fight against the king of Babylon and the Babylonians. But no, that was not the will of God. And that goes contrary time and again to what we are reading in Jeremiah 50. And Jeremiah 51, in Jeremiah 50 verse 1, the word that Jehovah spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet, declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal, not say Babylon is taken, Bell is confounded, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are confounded, her images are broken in pieces. Jeremiah 50 is a declaration against Babylon. Uh, Remember what we read back in verse 14. Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about, all ye that bend the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against Jehovah. Shout against her round about. She has given her hand, her foundations are fallen, her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of Jehovah. Take vengeance upon her as she has done. Do unto her, cut off the sower from Babylon, and him that handleth the sickle in time of harvest. For the fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn everyone to his people, and they shall flee everyone to his own land. And uh, there's uh, that's typical. That is consistent with uh, many other verses that we've been reading. Again, in verse 29 of Jeremiah 50, call together the archers against Babylon, all ye that bend the bow, camp against it round about, let none thereof escape, recompense her according to her work, according to all that she has done, do unto her, for she has been proud against Jehovah, against the Holy One of Israel, therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith Jehovah. And this is completely um, contrary to chapter after chapter that's found earlier in the book of Jeremiah. Do not fight against the king of Babylon, the, the people of Judah are told. Let's uh, read an example of this in Jeremiah 27. In Jeremiah 27, it says in verse 5, I have made the earth... The man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power, and by my outstretched arm, and have given it, unto whom it seemeth meet unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him, and his son, and his son's son, until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith Jehovah, with the sword, and with the famine, and with the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, Hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you, to remove you far from your land, that I should drive you out, and ye should perish. But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, and serve him... Those, why, let remain still in their own land, saith Jehovah, and they shall till it and dwell therein. And there it's very clear God is indicating not only for Judah, but all nations must submit to the king of Babylon. And any that do not submit, well, God himself will be against them. He says again, In verse 8 of Jeremiah 27, um, in the middle of the verse, And that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith Jehovah, with the sword. And so it was God's plan to um, not fight back, not rebel against the king of Babylon, but to submit. And what do we find in Jeremiah 50? And Jeremiah 51, uh, when, when we read this information again and again, fight against her, publish these things against her. God is against Babylon. And it's not until God utilized Babylon and has finished using Babylon as an instrument of judgment that God then would permit or allow judgment against Babylon or for anyone to lift up their hand against Babylon. That's another proof that what we're reading in Jeremiah 50 and 51 about Babylon has to do with the final judgment of this world and all the unsaved inhabitants of the earth. It is not the judgment on the church in Jeremiah 50 and 51, only insofar as the church has become a part of Babylon but that's not the focus. The focus is on the whole kingdom of Satan, all of the unsaved people of the world. And it's at that time that God's people are then permitted to um, come against Babylon. They they were not permitted to do so earlier. They they had to submit. They had to go into captivity. But now it is God's plan to bring judgment. Remember, the Lord Jesus comes with ten thousands of his saints. And, of course, if you're you're bringing judgment, you are coming against the one that is being judged. All right, well, uh the last time, in our last study, we were looking at verse 34 that says in Jeremiah 50, The Redeemer is strong. Jehovah of hosts is his name. And we discuss that how it's interesting how God uh identifies redemption with Babylon and we looked at several verses where that was the case and then it goes on to say he shall truly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon now this is referring to God that uh, our redeemer who is strong will plead their cause. He's going to plead the cause of his people. And uh, we we read in Psalm 35, this same language um, of pleading the cause. In Psalm 35, verse 1, Plead my cause, O Jehovah, with them that strive with me. Fight against them, that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind. And let the angel of Jehovah chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of Jehovah persecute them, for without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him at unawares, and let his net that he has hid catch himself into the very destruction let him fall. And uh, we we can Identify some of this language or related to Judgment Day. For instance, that last verse in Psalm 35 verse 8, let destruction come upon him unawares, reminds us of Jeremiah 50 verse 24. I have laid a snare for thee, and thou art also taken, O Babylon, and thou wast not aware. Thou art found and also caught because thou wast striven against Jehovah. And it is God's plan to plead the cause of his people. And we see from Psalm 35 when God pleads their cause, it is in battle. He is fighting against them that have fought against his people. It is the vengeance of his temple. It is for the sake of his people that God is involved in this warfare with the world, with the unsaved inhabitants of the earth. Now, uh, it also says in Jeremiah 51, we find this same language in Jeremiah 51, beginning in verse 34, Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a dragon. He has filled his belly with my delicates. He has cast me out. The violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon, shall the inhabitant of Zion say, and my blood upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, shall Jerusalem say. Therefore, thus saith Jehovah, Behold, I will plead thy cause and take vengeance for thee, and I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. And again, we see it's for the sake of... The people of God. On their behalf, God is pleading their cause. In Micah chapter 7, it says, in Micah 7, beginning in verse 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, Jehovah shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of Jehovah because I have sinned against him, until he plead my cause, and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is Jehovah thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. And again that wording until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. That's exactly what it means for God to plead our cause. And And so, uh, Jeremiah 50 verse 34 is referring to the execution of judgment, the carrying out of the wrath of God. He shall truly plead their cause, that he may give rest to the land, and disquiet the inhabitants of babylon now the word disquiet is strongs number 707264 and it's translated as tremble in joel joel chapter 2 in a familiar place in joel 2 verse 1 blow ye the trumpet in zion and sound alarm in my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of Jehovah cometh for it is nigh at hand and also in verse 10 the earth shall quake before them the heavens shall tremble the Sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining the word tremble in both places is a translation of that same Hebrew word translated as disquiet an angel to God is using this uh, imagery of His mighty army that is going across the land, the and the, the whole earth, and destroying it. They're they're uh, destroying everything in their path, and it it is uh, really a commentary on Revelation nine. When it refers to the locusts that go forth for that five month period, as the five month typifies the entire time, the whole time period of judgment day. And, and so too in Joel chapter two, in these early verses. So the, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. It says in Joel two, one. And in our verse, disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. That is cause to tremble the inhabitants of Babylon or the inhabitants of the world. as It, it has the same people in view as Joel 2 does. The unsafe people of the earth. Alright, let's go on to verse 35 and uh, I'm going to read 35 through 37. A sword is upon the Chaldeans saith Jehovah and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes, and upon her wise men. A sword is upon the liars, and they shall dote. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. A sword is upon their horses, and upon their chariots, and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. And here God is likening his wrath to the sword. We find ten times is the sword said to be upon something. And the number ten points to completeness of whatever is in view. In this case, the complete judgment of Babylon. As the wrath of God is likened to a sword. Remember what we read Um, used to often consider in the time leading up to May 21, 2011. In Ezekiel chapter 33, it says, beginning in verse 1, Again, the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts, and set him for their watchman, if, when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet, and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchmen see the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. And in these verses we correctly understood that God is referring to the approach of his judgment. And, you see, in order to blow the trumpet and warn the people, you have to know that the judgment is coming. This is where the, the whole idea of the church's doctrine, that no man knows the day or hour, collapses. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said often when speaking of the time of the end and the final days of the great tribulation and the end of the world, he said, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And that word watch is very intentional because it identifies with Ezekiel 33. There's a watchman, and the watchman is, in ancient times, would would be in a tower, or he would have some advanced position from the city where he could see the enemy approach. And when he saw the enemy approach, he would blow a trumpet that would sound the warning to the village or the town, and they could flee or they could prepare for battle, but they would be warned. And that's what the picture that God is using to teach us about the coming of Christ and Judgment Day. When you see the sword approaching, and, and remember the sword in the Bible points to the Word of God. The, the word of God, it says in Hebrews 4 verse 12, is quick. That means alive and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and and the joints and marrow, and so forth. And so the word of God is what the sword points to, and and when you see the sword coming. When God opens up his word to reveal information about judgment, as he told Daniel, um, that would be the case. Seal up the word, O Daniel, until the time of the end, and then knowledge shall increase. And then in the same context, we read in Daniel 12, verses 9 and 10, "...the wise will understand, but none of the wicked will understand." That is, God will open up the scriptures at the time of the end to reveal information that had been sealed up previously, including the judgment on the church and including judgment day, the judgment on the world. And that's exactly what God did. He also revealed much information concerning the biblical calendar of history That permitted his people to have a calendar in which they could see how biblical events unfolded in a very precise way. And they could have an end time calendar that would pinpoint the end of the church age, the beginning of the great tribulation, the first part of the great tribulation, and the second part of the great tribulation. And no, the conclusion of the great tribulation, the day of judgment. God revealed all these things to his people and then provided for them to have a platform and a trumpet in order to sound the alarm, to blow the trumpet and warn the people. And the Lord tells us something that's really Significant in 1 Corinthians 14 concerning the sounding of a trumpet. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And that means that it was God's plan all along to so convince his people that they would proclaim May 21 2011 Judgment Day the Bible guarantees it. Is there any hesitancy? Is there any uncertainty in that declaration? No. It is a very certain sound and it was necessary for that information to be definite uh, to be stated with an exclamation point in order that people prepare themselves for the battle in order that the message be taken seriously. And that's exactly why God revealed it to us in the way he did, kept back some of the information concerning the Day of Judgment, regarding the spiritual nature of it, to keep the warning understandable, I think, in the eyes of the world, and, and uh, not to go into too much detail about it, just the fact that May 21, 2011 was Judgment Day. And that that is, for the most part, what was shared. There was other information that was incorrect, but the billboards, thousands of billboards that were placed in uh, numerous languages all over the world, proclaim May 21, 2011, Judgment Day, the Bible guarantees it. And that's as far, really, as many of the billboards went. There were even billboards with the image of a trumpet in order to emphasize this is the Bible's warning. We see the sword coming, the sword representative of the wrath of God and therefore were sounding the trumpet to warn the people. And and it was done out of much concern and much love for our fellow man, for our neighbors, and for those people of the world. And this is exactly what God wanted to happen so that the nations would hear. God could use that information to draw his elect as it had come time now to uh, finish up his salvation program to save the last of the elect and the last of that great multitude. And so God did all this according to his purposes and according to his plan. And so the true believers uh declared these things that the sword was coming. And while the sword is approaching, there could be repentance there could be um, grace bestowed there could be mercy given there could be salvation this was the the great encouragement to us as we shared these things that perhaps God might have mercy on our loved ones on our neighbors on on others we met on potentially anyone and so we shared these things and Uh, According to Ezekiel 33, some take warning, others do not. Those that do not take warning, their blood is upon their own heads. They are responsible for their own sins. And if they dismiss the warning, if they ignored it, if they continued on as though it were nothing, their blood, that is their life, is on them. And God's people who share that information are clean. We're pure from the blood of all men. And, and we did our uh, duty in uh, sharing the full and whole counsel of God. And so once the judgment comes and once the sword uh, begins to destroy, then uh, that is all according to the wrath of God, and God holds each individual person responsible. We read in Ezekiel 14, in Ezekiel chapter 14, in uh, verses 17 and 18, and in this passage, God is speaking of judgment day on the world, and he says in Ezekiel 14:17, or if I bring a sword upon that land... And say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord Jehovah, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. And here God is indicating once the sword arrives, it's no longer approaching, the sword has come the sword is upon them it's uh, like that parable when a king with a greater army is off in the distance then you can uh, maybe settle for terms of surrender and and make peace with him but if you haven't done that when the king and his army reach you it's too late now it's Time for battle, time for war, and the sword is upon you. And that's the case in the time we're living in now. For all history, the sword of the final judgment was in the approach. It was coming, and the Bible kept warning and warning mankind. The day of the Lord is coming the day of wrath, the day of punishment, the day where mankind will be cut off from mercy, and just as often as uh, God could, when we read the Bible, we we read those warnings, those admonishments, and admonitions to. Uh, with each one, with each warning, really, there was, in a sense, uh, God beseeching the listeners, to be reconciled with him, to seek him while he might be found, because the day was coming when reconciliation would no longer be possible, he could no longer be found, the sword would be upon you. And, you know, since all previous history, that has been the case, wherein the sword was Descending in the sense upon the wicked, but not yet here. Uh, That's how we're accustomed to thinking and living our life that this is always going to be the way it is. And, and yet no, according to God's timetable, according to the biblical calendar of history that has laid out for us the times and seasons of God's program, we have passed From the descent of the sword to the sword's arrival, it is here. It is destroying, and it is killing the wicked of the world. And there, there's no more sounding the trumpet that the sword is coming. The sword is here. And once it has come, then there is no deliverance. These three men, referring to Noah, Daniel, and Job, the most faithful men in the Bible, could not deliver even sons or daughters. And and we cannot deliver sons or daughters. We cannot deliver anyone because salvation has ended. We read in Isaiah chapter 34, in Isaiah 34, which is uh, another chapter in the Bible that describes... A judgment day. It says in verse one, and I'll read uh, several verses beginning in verse one. Come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of Jehovah is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of Jehovah is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness, and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For Jehovah hath a sacrifice in Basra, and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. And again, this is describing the day of judgment, where now the unsaved are like that sacrifice, the offering for sin. We uh, think of the Lord Jesus, and correctly, that he is our sacrifice. He is the one that died on our behalf. And what is a sacrifice? But that which is offered to satisfy the law's demand. It is an appeasement for sin. Well, what if Jesus was not your Savior? What if he never paid for your sins? Well, uh, God still requires payment. The law of God demands justice. There must be a sacrifice to appease the law of God. And that sacrifice is the wicked themselves. They are the ones that are going to be slain and destroyed in order to satisfy the vengeance of God, uh, the law as the law points out, all the violations that men have committed against it, all the transgressions, Well, there must be a sacrifice. So God pictures Judgment Day as a sacrifice of the wicked. And uh, tragically, it is their own death that is offered up for their sin, as the Lord Jesus never died for them. Well, let's go back to Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50 and... Again, we see in verses 35 through 37, ten times God speaks of a sword being upon something, the Chaldeans, um, the inhabitants of Babylon, her princes, her wise men, and we can understand all that. It's speaking of the people of this world. And a sword is upon the liars, and they shall dote, and the liars are the unsaved. Remember how God puts it in Revelation 22 when he says in verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. And that is all of the people that have never become safe, because the heart of man, in his fallen condition, is deceitful above all things. And to be deceitful means it's full of lies. It 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 loves the lie. It hates the truth, and uh, that's the nature of mankind. God therefore has brought a sword upon. The liars, and and they shall dote. Now the the word dote is let, let's see. Um, I think I made a note here. I think it's translated as foolish in a few places. So it means that they will be foolish. And then it goes on. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. In Isaiah 20, verse 5, this word is translated as afraid. They shall be afraid. In verse 37, a sword is upon their horses, and upon their chariots, and upon all the mingled people. So it's upon their armies, um, those that do battle, the emissaries of Satan. It's upon his forces. And the mingled people... This is the same as the mixed multitude that came up out of Egypt. Not only Jews were delivered out of Egypt, but there were um, people from other nations that were also in captivity in Egypt. And God identifies them as a mixed multitude or a mingled people. So it would be people from various countries. And, uh, of course, that is... What the world is made up of, it's a world of mingled people. And then it goes on, "...that are in the midst of her, and they shall become as women." Now, in Jeremiah 51, verse 30, it says, "...the mighty men of Babylon have forborne to fight. They have remained in their holds. Their might have failed." They became as women. they have burned her dwelling places, her bars are broken. Now, today, of course we uh, we don't use this kind of language. It, it would be derogatory to women to insinuate that there is a lack of courage or strength or anything. but we we have to understand that throughout the world's history, men have fought battles, men have gone to war. And women have stayed home, and women have um, as it said, they're forborn to fight. They they have not entered into the battle. And that's the idea that God is using. Uh, in Isaiah nineteen Isaiah nineteen and verse sixteen it says In that day shall Egypt be like unto women. And shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of Jehovah of hosts, which he shaketh over it. So the, the idea that the Bible is presenting is that Babylon's mighty army, this army that was so triumphant. And, and again, just think of, um, how the world has been destroyed. The church has been destroyed. Over the last couple of decades, as Satan was loosed, and, and that's what Babylon and the King of Babylon points to, Satan's loosing and his rule at the time of the end, and he has shown himself to be a mighty king over the world and over the congregations of the world, and yet then Judgment Day comes, and Christ is victorious, the Lord Jesus is the one that overcomes. Babylon really puts up no fight. They're taken in a night. And, and as the Lord comes like a thief in the night. And it is as though their men were as women. As typically women would not fight. And would fear to enter into a fierce battle uh, in days of old. Well, let's keep reading here and... They shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. Now, what would Babylon's treasures be? We know um, the treasures of the Word of God, the treasures of the kingdom of God, um, spiritual riches. But what are the treasures of Babylon? Remember what was said of Moses... In Hebrews 11, in verse 24 and following, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward now here God is relating the pleasures of sin to the treasures in Egypt Of course historically it was referring to actual treasures there was great physical riches but spiritually uh, what riches does the world have to offer it is the riches that revolve around sin that are completely identified with sin. Uh, For instance, in Proverbs chapter 10, in Proverbs 10, it says in verse 2, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. So the Bible recognizes that there are certain treasures of wickedness, the pleasures of sin. And God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, warned against getting so wrapped up in those treasures that because they're fleeting and, and uh, they're temporary. In Matthew 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And it's interesting that God speaks of not laying up treasure in the earth, because thieves can break in and steal. Now remember back in Joel, uh, we didn't read this, but we did look at this same chapter a little while ago. In Joel 2, it says of that mighty army in, um, let's see, I'll begin reading in verse 7, "...they shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march everyone on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks, neither shall one thrust another." They shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. And by the way, the sword will not wound this army because it's God's elect. It's the true believers. And the sword that is upon Babylon and, and all the wicked, uh, ten times, times—that's the completeness of the wrath of God upon the unsaved people of the earth. That sword cannot harm the true believer and we're with christ we're coming in judgment with him and if we would happen to even fall on the sword we'll not be wounded and then in verse 9 they shall run to and fro in the city they shall run upon the wall they shall climb up upon the houses they shall enter in at the windows like a thief the earth shall quake before them, the heaven shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And Jehovah shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong, that executeth his word, for the day of Jehovah is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Here the army enters in the windows like a thief. Christ came as a thief in a night on May 21, 2011, in such a way, uh, he's such an excellent thief, that the world doesn't even know that he did come. And what did he do? He came and robbed them of their treasures. He has taken away the treasures, the Treasures of the gospel, the light of the gospel, the possibility of salvation, the potential of all the rich treasures of eternity future, of living forevermore. Yes, he's, he's done that, but he's also put a sword upon all of their treasures, all the things that men have stored up and that men have counted on and hoped upon. We read in Revelation 18, that really goes into detail concerning what we're reading in uh, Jeremiah 50 about the sword being upon the treasures of Babylon. It says in Revelation 18, in verse 10, I'll start there. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth her merchandise any more, the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones, and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet, and all thine wood, and all manner vessels of ivory, and all manner vessels of most precious wood, and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men, and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, Weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city? is like unto this great city. And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. And this is speaking of the end of the hour of the great tribulation, as really when we look at the literal of this reference, um to, in one hour, literally, is, um, in one hour has came, it is past, and, and it's at the end of the hour, the end of the great tribulation that Babylon loses its riches, that the sword of God is upon Babylon. It's not during the hour, because then she's rich, abundant in riches, and her treasures are enormous they as god has given satan and his kingdom uh, a final time period the little season of the great tribulation in which they have risen to heights never before seen and and so babylon of course is is not destroyed then but it's at the end of the hour because the end of the hour is May 21, 2011, the end of the Great Tribulation, the beginning of Judgment Day. And then the sword of God is upon all of her treasures, all of her riches. Well, we'll conclude our study here and, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll pick up next time with verse 38, which says a drought is upon her waters and they shall be dried up. And it's interesting how God uses this to really prepare the world. The the drying up of the waters of Babylon, the drying up of the gospel waters in the world are a form of preparation for the crossing over of the people of God into the kingdom of heaven. But we'll look at that, Lord willing, next time. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.